the key things I check every week are my email list size, uh, web traffic, which pages are getting visited the most and how long people are spending on them and bounce rates and things like that. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, episode 54. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. If you want to sell more of your products, whatever you've got, like a membership site or whatever it might be, you, it's easy to think what I need to do is like run more ads. Like it's easy to think, that, oh, paid ads, paid ads. I've got to chuck some more Facebook, Facebook ads at this whole thing. The truth is, Janet Murray tells us that what we should be doing is building a bigger audience. Mm. It's so easy to take your eye off that ball because you think of that as like a beginner thing. Like, let's build my audience before I do anything. But actually, as you chug along, building more stuff, you need to keep building that audience at the beginning of that funnel as well, don't you? You do indeed. Hello, this is Rob and Kennedy. Hello. From Response Suite. We are back again. And as you mentioned, as you teased, we are in fact chatting to Miss Janet Murray today. Janet Murray's in the house! Indeed. Dead excited to know. Actually, she's in her house and they're having a bathroom fit. Yeah, you might hear some additional sound effects. That's not like the BBC behind her, like doing all that crumple, crumple, drilly, drilly. No, that's for real. Yeah, they stopped halfway through and we think they started a blog because they must have got so excited. We had a bit of a joke about the fact that <laughs> they probably started a LinkedIn account, didn't they, about way through? <laughs> yeah, this is a great, this is a really good episode because it is, so, like I said in that little teasy intro bit, it is so easy to get obsessed with, like, how do we run more ads and tweak our ads and make them more efficient. The truth is, the success of how much stuff you're selling as you're trying to grow is directly related. In fact, it's related to pretty much nothing else other than the influence you have over the audience that you're building. And that's the whole thing. We, it's so easy to forget to keep building that audience. Mm-hmm. There's some massive people on social media, like on Instagram and stuff, aren't there, who are constantly just building their audience, building their audience. And they do get at that point, that critical mass where it starts to build quite a bit. You know, our our friend Natalie over at Boss Babe, she's just doing an amazing job and they're getting like thousands of new followers a day, but they've got like a million followers now. So they they probably don't focus that much on those beginner skills that we've all sort of used, but they're now moving at those strategies. It's really interesting. Yeah. And Janet actually has a really interesting definition of what an audience is and where it fits. And so that is, I think, going to be quite eye-opening for a lot of people. Was for me. I think it is, yeah. We, we took loads away from that, didn't we? Before we get into today's interview, because I'm gagging to get there, because I think it's just absolute gold all over the joint, I think we should get into Rob's quote of the week. <laughs> yes, because as they say, shades of paint have colour, black holes do not. There you go. I'll get you going for the day, won't it? Bit of food for thought for you there. A little bit of food for thought. A little bit of food for thought. So we're about to head into it now. By the way, thanks to everybody who's been leaving us lovely reviews all over the podcast players. Loving you for that. I'm raising a glass to you right here because one, that lets us know what your big takeaways are and we love reading those. We're going to start reading some more of those out in future episodes. So uh, if you haven't already, you're welcome to, to join us on that. So leave us a review over, over at responsebeat.com slash iTunes if you're a fan of the old iTunes or on your favorite podcast player. Thanks to everybody who's been doing that. Not only is it great to read what your big takeaways are, so we can bring you more of that sort of stuff. Also, like have a bit of chat with you about that. But also, it does help us spread the word and get more, more, lit, more ear holes onto the podcast. Loving that. Actually, in chatting to our listeners, we found out that we've got a bunch of people who listen to this who are high-ticket coaches, consultants, or service providers. And basically, that means that they have people applying for stuff that's quite expensive, and then you sell it to them. If that's you, then you probably have some sort of application form. And if you don't have one, you should have one. So what we've done is we've compiled all of our knowledge and know-how and wisdom and learnings and experimentings over the past few years about how you can uh, get more people to apply for your high-ticket programs and stuff into a lovely little guide. It talks about what questions to ask, what colors they should be, what the layout should be, etc. And uh, we want to give it to you for free. 
Yes, you just pop over to perfectapplicationform.com and it's yours. Just download the Badger. There you go. Badger not included, just so you know. <laughs> just so you know. Now, Rob, if I said to you, I could get you a professional speaker to come on this podcast who's going to talk about building a massive audience who's not just talking about it, not just inspiring people to do it, but actually doing it to sell our own programs, you'd say, uh, Janet Murray? Let's speak to Janet Murray. Janet Murray, welcome to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. It's lovely to have you here. We were just having a bit of a chat before we hit record here about people launching online courses. Everybody should be launching a course these days. Everybody's got some kind of program. But a lot of people get all excited and they get into, that, into the weeds of creating their program and of figuring out which membership platform they use. But there's a bit that sort of comes before it, which you've been absolutely nailing for years. So what is that big problem that people come up against, Janet? The biggest problem people have when they're launching online programs and mentorships is that they don't have the very thing that they need to make it successful. And that's an audience. They need people to sell it to. And so people get all excited and they create courses, memberships up front, and they go out and they try to sell it and then they get crickets. So when you say audience, what's like your definition of that? Because for some of us, that's like, right, well, I've got a bajillion Instagram followers because, you know, I'm hot and attractive and I wear a bikini. Um, (laughs) They've got to be the right people as well though, right? They've got to be the right people. And actually for me, an audience isn't social media followers. For me, (gasps) an audience is your mail list basically because social media followers, it's all very nice, but people generally aren't on social media media to buy. They're, uh, they're on social media to socialize. So while you might make a few sales on social media, actually where most of the sales are going to happen is in your inbox. Hold up. But if anybody knows you, Janet, they know that you're all over LinkedIn. You're doing those fabulous videos every half a second. They know, <laughs> they know you're all over it. So obviously where, that obviously fits in somewhere because like, you're really strategic. Where does social media fit into this audience program then? So social media is how you build your email list in the first place. So the way I look at it is this three phases to your audience building. So the very first thing you need to do is to build that audience on social media because if you can't build an audience on social media, if you can't get people to engage with your content, um, then you're not going to be able to get people to join your email list. Sorry, is that too, is there too much banging in the background? No, no, the, the banging's banging. Somebody's breaking in, I think, in the background. But that's okay. that's, that's Janet, can you just give us a name chat? Let us know you're still alive. <laughs> well, yeah. do, we need, do we need to have a safe word for doing Like one for yes, twice for no. <laughs> is that okay? Let me know if that's okay. Because that's there is just, just for the listener, Janet's having a new bathroom put in <laughs> and we thought while she can't have a shower, we'll speak to her while she's particularly smelly. <laughs> <laughs> That is not actually that far from the truth, actually. <laughs> okay, let me know if it gets too noisy. Okay, so for me, there's three phases. I'll just go through that again, just so that in case anybody couldn't hear because of the banging in the background. So the first phase is you need to build that audience on social media because if you haven't got followers on social media and people are engaging with you, then you're not going to be able to do that essential next step is to persuade people to join your email list. But also, if you're not able to create engaging content. If you don't know how to get people to talk back to you on social media, then you're really going to struggle to, to write engaging email copy and get people to actually buy from you. So my advice always is to start by building your audience on social media, really get to understand what engages people and uh, you know what kind of content. And the key is to get people to talk back to you. It isn't about numbers of followers or you know vanity metrics. It's about actually having conversations. The next step, once you've worked out how to do that, is to is to blog 
and to get people over to your website. It doesn't necessarily have to be a written blog. It could be a, a podcast. It could be a YouTube video that you embed on your site. But the key thing is you don't want to be building your audience on somebody else's land. As, as I don't know if you guys picked up on this a few weeks ago, but there was a massive like Facebook yeah. uh, problem, wasn't there? Facebook went down for like the best part of 24 years. <laughs> and what happened to me was I had a course launching the next day. But I wasn't really very worried about it because I've got an email list. So I knew that even though it's kind of nice to be able to like reinforce what you're doing on social media and remind people that you're selling a course, I was feeling quite smug because I've got an email list. So I knew that even if Facebook, you know, never came back again, I'd be all right. But actually, I saw a lot of people really panicking over the interweb because they had courses that they were wanting to promote. They had memberships and things that they were selling and they were like, oh my God, Facebook's gone down. Instagram's gone down. What am I going to do? So it's a really key thing is that you don't build your audience on somebody else's land. So what you want to do is then attract traffic to your website. How do you attract traffic? Then you create the best content you possibly can. You need to be the best content creator in your space. So you're getting people over to your website. And then when you've got them to your website, what you're then trying to do is to persuade them to give you their email address, which isn't an easy feat. And we can talk more about that mm. so that you can get them onto your email list. Because once people have actually, you know, actively agreed to give you their email address, then you can sell to them. So that's really the cycle. The bit most people want to do, because this stuff is hard, you know, is they just want to stick in the social media side of it because you know I don't know about you I find it quite fun being on social media making videos and chatting to people and stuff but that isn't what makes you consistent recurring income and if you have got an online course or you've got uh, some kind of membership program that you want to sell you're not going to well I, I bet met very few people who can actually make a regular income from that um, but you know there's there's definitely a lot of truth in the fact that the money is in the list. Yeah. I mean, I was gutted when Facebook went down for that few hours because I was like, well, now where am I going to post a picture of my dinner? You know, like I had nobody, <laughs> nobody to show that to. I was, I was in I've now got Yorkshire puddings, which haven't been seen by the world. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I send my daughter pictures of like cute animals all day. That's what I use Facebook. <laughs> and yeah, we were, we were struggling for about 24 hours. So I guess the platform that you're going to use is important if you're going to create an audience of people who are engaged and they're in your niche, if they're in your market. So how do you determine where to actually build this first step, this social media bit? Because obviously there's a billion platforms now. Okay. So my first bit of advice is not to try and be everywhere at once. I mean, ideally I'm everywhere. Like once you've been doing it a while, then you know, try and be everywhere. But when you're first starting out, I would pick one or two platforms and it needs to be where your audience are hanging out. So sometimes my clients say to me, oh, but I really like Instagram. Well, that's fine. But if your clients are on LinkedIn, then you'd need to be on LinkedIn. So the first thing you need to find out is your ideal clients, where are they hanging out the most? And then you need to go and hang out there too. And people often say to me, well, how do I find out? So we just ask them, you know, just, just, just find five or 10 of your ideal clients and ask them which social media platforms are you on? Which ones do you like the most? And you may find it isn't the ones that you like the most, but it's not about you. It's about you know, what's going to really resonate with your clients. So, and then for me, it's about just getting on there and experimenting. And for me, social media is one massive big experiment. And I'm like, as you two will probably know, I'm on social media, like every day, trying things. Mm -hmm. Most of the things that I do work to engage people, but some things don't work and that's fine. And that's probably the first thing that lots of people have to get over it actually is that, you know, you're going to try some things that are not going to work and that's absolutely fine. Nobody's really watching that closely. Just move on and try something else. But 
Yeah, the key thing is just to get conversation going. So I, I posted something on LinkedIn recently, which upset a few people where I basically said, look, if you're just posting on LinkedIn every day and no one ever replies to anything that you say, like it's really not really worth your while. And some people got quite angry about this and they were saying, yes, but you know, behind the scenes, people are messaging me and all the rest of it, which is great. But actually people do look and, you know, if I'm checking out somebody possibly to have as a podcast guest or I'm checking out somebody to work with maybe and I go and look at their social media and nothing they ever say is ever, ever interesting enough for anybody to just go, wow, that's interesting. Then I think that sends quite, you know, oh, tell me more. That sends quite a powerful message and people will argue with me about this. Like, you know, I, I, I sometimes post things quite strategically actually where I don't get any response because I'm asking people to, to, to direct message me or um, I, I have got a very you know, clear reason why I'm doing that. But most of the time, what I want to do is to get conversation going because people buy from people that they like and they've got a relationship with. And if nothing you say is ever interesting enough for anybody to have a conversation with you, people are going to notice that and they're probably going to think you're a bit dull. Janet, a lot of the social platforms are getting very noisy now. Obviously, Facebook, everybody and their granny is a Facebook ads expert. So the Facebook platform is getting overrun with all this stuff. So you talked about how it's important to be obviously where your audience are, but how do you factor in competitiveness of the platform into that? Or is it just not a factor? I think it's not a factor. People moan to me all the time about, oh, the Facebook algorithm, none of my content gets seen because the Facebook algorithm, blah, blah, blah. But actually, if your content, if no one's engaging with your content, the truth is there's two reasons for it. One is that your content just isn't interesting enough, you know, and you have to face facts and you just have to be more interesting. And secondly, you haven't done the thing that all of us need to do when we first start on a platform, the thing that nobody talks about. And it's going and actually asking people to comment on your stuff. You have to massage the algorithm, basically. We have to find ways to get people to comment. So some people, when they're first starting out on a platform, they start pods. I've got some of them in my membership. I've got Instagram pods, Facebook pod, and people will just get together as a group and they will commit to each other to post on each other's content. Now, some people say that's cheating the system. I say that's being smart. You know, if you want to you know, show basically how it works on every social media platform is obviously the more people that respond to your content, the more that platform thinks, oh, right, okay, this person's interesting. I'm going to show it to more people. So you have to find a way of like massaging that to start off with. Once you've been doing it for a while and whatever platform it is sees that you get engagement regularly, then generally you won't have to do as much of that. But getting involved in pods or tagging people in or, you know, just asking mates to do you a favor and comment on your stuff. And I say that till I'm blue in the face and people because it's a bit awkward, isn't it? Asking, you know, going to people and saying, do us a favor and comment on that. It's a little bit awkward. But if you're willing to do that for other people and you're willing to reciprocate, then, you know, that's the other step. But basically, if you're not getting engagement on your content, it's nothing to do with how competitive it is. It's because your content is either, is boring, or in most cases, it's because your content is boring and you're not doing any, you know, know, actively going out and looking for that engagement and finding ways to get people to engage. It's your fault, basically. <laughs> exactly. And you can totally understand why it's awkward. It's a bit like you're like the loser kid at school who's having a birthday party and you've got to sort of beg some of the popular kids, just one popular kid to say they're going to come to your party. Otherwise, you're going to end up with an empty house. Like you just feel like the loser at school. Yeah, I need exactly. to stop. 
I need to stop posting pictures of my rare coin collection on Facebook. <laughs> so that's what it is. So I mean, what? Let's talk about this content itself. You know, what does engage people? Is it you know funny memes and quotes? Like you know, everyone's got an Instagram full of motivational quotes. What is it that actually engages people? Well, I've got like a a number of sort of strategies that I teach. I guess I recently created this LinkedIn playbook. Um, and it, it goes through six different types of posts. And if I can remember them all, I'll go through them with you because they work on every platform and they work for every type of content. They go my bathroom fitters again, actually. They, I don't know if you can hear them, but they're Not now they're now drilling something in the background. But anyway, you so... What's going to um, happen is they're going to stop in a minute and they're all going to set up LinkedIn profiles. They're going to be like, what the hell's going on? They've gone quiet. Yeah, yeah. They'll all be, they'll all be like pitching people on LinkedIn for work or whatever. But um, yeah, so, so the key thing is, I mean, because my background is journalism. So this is something that's just come naturally, basically, as a journalist you don't publish anything unless people actually are going to care about it. You know, so, so as a journalist, you're getting pitched all the time. People yeah. sending press releases, sending stories through. And you're basically like, why do people need to hear about this now? Why would people care? So I instinctively, when I'm approaching any content, that's what I'm always thinking. And I'm also thinking about not only how can I make this content good and interesting, engaging, but how can I get people to actually read it or engage with it? And I'm experimenting all the time. But a few key things, um, key things to remember is that people love talking about themselves. So, whenever I'm posting anything on social media, I will basically try and think, how can I make this about them? So I always have an intention. So say, for example, the end of last year, I I was really lucky. I got to speak in Boston one month at um, the Inbound Conference, got to speak at Tribe Conference in Nashville. I've been speaking at Upreneur Conference in London. I was over in Milan speaking at a marketing uh, conference there. And of course, if you're doing that kind of thing, you want to tell people that you're doing it because the more people see you speaking at international events, the more likely you are to get booked. However, if I just go onto LinkedIn or something and say, hey, I'm speaking at the Marketing Business Summit in Milan, people are going to be like, yeah, right, whatever. Uh, so what I do is I just try and think about, well, how can I make this about my audience? So how can I turn it into a helpful piece of content for them? Or how can I start a conversation? So I did a few things to promote the fact that I was speaking internationally. So one thing I, I did was I made a, a vlog so I made this vlog of me when I was in Boston. I, I, I made a vlog of me just like showing people around um, the area. I think it's the south end of Boston. And um, yeah, that did really well. And then also got to, you know, to mention it that I was speaking over in Boston. Um, I also, in the run up to going over there, I created a video about how I put my talks together. So um, how I plan my my, my do, I do sort of like 30 minute keynote talks, how I put them together. I've got a special kind of way that I do it. And I, and I took people on a sort of journey and showed them the process that I go through. Um, I'll often ask questions and I'll just say to people, you know, when you're speaking at an event and do you suffer from nerves? You know, I'll just try and think of ways just to, to get people to kind of, you know, talk back to me. The other thing that I do as well, uh, which I don't do this, I do it about once a month or something, but I have a special kind of post that I call a grenade post. Um, and this is when I will deliberately say something a little bit provocative or I will say something that I know people will have a strong opinion about and I know will divide them. So, for example, I was speaking at an event a few years ago and I was speaking at the Youpreneur Summit and there were all these like amazing internet marketing legends. So I was sat next to Pat Flynn of the Smart Passive Income blog at dinner. I was sat with John Ledumas, who, who is like the, you know, the big podcasting giant um, entrepreneurs on fire podcast. I was around all these like people that I'd looked at for years. And then this lady came along and she crouched down beside me and she said, oh, um, are you one of the speaker's wives? <laughs> and uh, there was this, this awkward moment where I kind of, I didn't want to say that I was a speaker because I thought that would embarrass her. But then 
I, I couldn't really pretend not to be a speaker. The whole thing was just a bit awkward and embarrassing. But actually, it, that said a lot about, you know, female speakers. You know, it brought up quite an interesting topic for discussion. So I used that as a, as a, as a, a way of opening a discussion about female speakers. I think it was quite a provocative discussion. Um, I've also talked on LinkedIn about how I think it's really important that speakers dress nicely. Um, and that's wound a few people up because people think that, you know, that I'm being like uh, sexist or something when I say that, you know, that I'm, I'm never saying it's just women that should do it, but when I say personal appearance is important. So I call those things grenade pose, but hopefully that gives you an idea how you could take one thing that you're doing and actually create like loads of different pieces of content around it that are just much more engaging. Yeah, it makes a load of sense. There was a post you put up recently, which was about, you know, I'm okay with, with speaking in front of groups of people because you've been a speaker for a long time, but then mingling and networking is terrifying. And what, what you're really good at is one, humanizing. It's really important. I think anybody who's trying to build some kind of leadership of a tribe, it's very easy to quickly dehumanize yourself and move yourself away from being identifiable and relatable with your audience. And one of the things you're really good at is, is talking about those weaknesses as well and asking people to sort of share their weaknesses yeah so that was I actually went to an I'm usually speaking or running my own events but I went to an event as a delegate last week called Expert Empire it's called and it was like a massive big event with like 500 people and I'm used to speaking on big stages but I was terrified because I had to just go into a room and also I went into a room as like nobody like I had a few people came up and said, oh, I know you, I think I listened to your podcast or whatever. But you know, basically nobody really knew who I was or what I, I did. So I had to kind of like just kind of go in there and try and introduce myself to people. And and I was scared, you know, <laughs> like, and I was just, and, and, and I'm quite introverted naturally. So I find things like that quite intimidating. So I just shared what was on my mind. I just said, look, you know, I'm going to this big event. I'm a little bit scared because actually I'm quite introverted, really. I don't mind speaking in front of big groups of people, but put me in a room of people I had to network with and I hate it. What are your tips, basically? Tell me your tips for networking. And that, I mean, it's not like a, I've had, I've had much better engagement than that, but 50 comments on LinkedIn that's still going. No, it's not bad, is it? And it's a way of, what I really wanted people to do, well, it's important to have an, int- an intention. What I wanted people to do is to come up and introduce themselves to me. That was my intention with that post. So I thought, well, if I share this vulnerable thing about the fact that I'm a bit scared and I ask people for tips and hopefully some people in the room will see this and they'll come up and introduce themselves. And as happened, some people said, oh, my husband's there. I'll get him to come over and say hi and things like that, which was great. That's really, really nice. So when you come up with engaging content, how how often do you like put a direct call to action that's not just like comment on this platform? Because I know you're huge about moving people from the the, the other person's land onto your own land. Uh, That is your email list. How often are you doing some direct call to action which moves them across onto your own land? Is it every post? Is it regularly? How does that work? As much as I can, but you have to be, be a bit careful actually because LinkedIn and Facebook, I think they, um, they, they you do get penalised by the algorithm for putting uh, external links in your main post. So what I'll generally do is say something like, um, I'll talk about, you know, I'll do like a trailer for my latest podcast episode and then I'll say in the video, I'm going to put a link in the comments below because that apparently affects the algorithm less. But yeah, I'm always trying to send people back to my website as much as I possibly can. Um, But if people, if that's all people see is that you're constantly just sending them back to your content and your website, I think they get a bit tired of it. Um, So I will usually do it as a PS or I'll put it in the comments or something like that as well. So it is kind of really important, which the other thing, thing that's really important as well is you have to make with any kind of um, content engagement, you have to make it as easy for, as possible for people to engage. We're all very simple people and we can't 
like if there's too much information and too many choices, we just can't cope. So sometimes I see people posting on social media and they've got this really long involved post and like you just not you read it and you're not really sure what they want you to do at the end of it. So I will often say something like, um, just let me know in the comments, do you agree or disagree? Or sometimes I will actually give quite specific A, uh, yes, I think there's B, I think the other, or um, oh, I'm trying to think, yes or no. Um, just try and make it as easy as possible and only ever give one call to action because sometimes I see people saying, oh, you can go and listen to my podcast or you can go to my website and look at this or you can do this. And then by that time, everybody's lost interest. So I think it's just being really clear with every piece of content, what one thing do you want people to do? And ideally that is heading back to your website. Um, but it might not always be, it might actually just be, you know, having a conversation with you. And then the, ne- the next step might be, you know, something that I do quite a lot of my podcasts. Um, it can be really hard, even if you're creating really useful podcast episodes is to actually get people to respond on the post. So if you just post, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but if you just post, Hey, my new podcast episode's out and it's on this, doesn't matter how useful it is, like how to generate like millions of pounds in passive income or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just post it like that, people will generally just go, mm, yeah, or whatever. So I, I try and ask questions to qualify people, even just to listen to podcasts. So I'll say something like, you know, if my latest podcast episode is on how to um, generate passive income, I'll ask a question. So are you interested in generating passive income and then actually we'll we'll go through my team help me with this and they'll go through and they'll say oh if you're interested in it then have a listen to Janet's latest podcast episode I do it on Instagram stories as well I have a kind of process that I follow to kind of qualify people who are interested in the content um, and get them to actually self-elect and say yes I'm interested in this and then we'll send them the link to the podcast episode does that kind of make sense that makes a lot of sense. Perfect. And it's a really good idea. And you know what? You see more and more people doing this thing where they put the link in the first comment rather than in the post and make the post more content driven and then have a link to the thing. And that's, that's, that's a really easy takeaway for people right now. Now, we keep hearing this magic word engagement. And that brings us onto our very first game of this episode of Three Marketers. So how does it work, Kennedy? Okay. So this game is all about engagement. What I've found is I've found some famous celebrity couples and who have obviously been engaged, then married. And we're going to read out the name of one member of that couple. All you've got to do, Janet, is tell us who the other half of the famous couple is. Does that make sense? Yes, I hope I can do this. Yeah. I haven't got my daughter with me. I rely on my 13-year-old daughter to tell me who Uh, they are. No, we'll just see how she gets in out of the 10. So the first one. Okay, so who was engaged and married to Jay-Z? Oh, was that Beyonce? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, John Lennon. Yoko Ono. Yes. A famous Victoria. (laughs) Victoria (laughs) Victoria Beckham. Victoria Beckham. Uh, David Beckham. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Jessica Rabbit. Oh, God. I don't know. Uh, Oh, God. You can pass. I can pass. Yeah, pass, pass, pass. It was Roger Rabbit. (laughs) Who framed Roger Rabbit? (laughs) Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, I'm going to guess here. Ben Affleck. No, Matthew Broderick. Uh, that, uh, the next one is Minnie Mouse. Mickey? Yes. Were they a couple? I wasn't ever sure. They, I thought they were like my brother and sister. Were they a couple? <laughs> he did the Mickey Mouse voice and everything then. <laughs> were they a couple? Were they a couple? <laughs> um, Barack Obama. Uh, Michelle Obama. Sonny. Cher. <laughs> Angelina Jolie. Brad Pitt. Bonnie. And Clyde. Yes. There we go. Nine out of ten. I think that was, yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that was grand. 
Good going. It's all about engagement, isn't it? It is all about engagement. (laughs) Okay, let's move away from that game, which was mad. Swiftly. Swiftly, please. I want to talk about what... So you're taking people from an audience who are, who already exists, usually a social platform of some description, and you're moving them over to your own, la- own land. That might be a blog. That might be something like that. What have you found to be some of your most successful reasons, calls to action to move people? Because obviously getting people out of that comfort zone of, oh, I'm happily going through my LinkedIn and driving them and, and giving them that, uh, that, that motivation to shift over that new platform, that takes quite a bit of work. What have you found really works to make that move? Okay, two things. Uh, you've got to focus on people's pain. So your content, if you're going to bother creating a blog or a podcast, YouTube channel, it's got to solve people's problems. It's got to really, really address their pain points because otherwise, why would people want to listen? Especially if you're in a kind of B2B space. The other thing as well to be really niche and really focused. So sometimes when my clients come to me initially and they start blogging or podcasting, they're just, they're creating the content that they want to create. Like it's like vanity content. And it's Mm. basically what I was saying about social media. And they'll, you know, particularly if they're coaches or consultants, all this kind of fluffy stuff about Mm. self care or looking after yourself or tips to get a better night's sleep or whatever it might be. Mm. But actually what's really keeping people up at night and so it's really kind of, kind of finding those topics. So for me, I found um, that, you know, things like, Passive income always does really well, creating online courses, anything to do with you know, generating recurring income. I had a podcast episode really recently, which is about um, putting coaching and consultancy packages together because those kind of things, I don't know if I'm allowed to sort of say naughty words on here, but yeah, go uh, yeah they're real sort of ball ache. You know, those kind of things that are real, a real pain. That's not really a bad word, is it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, those sort of footballs <laughs> really painful. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's painful. Yeah, um, so those sort of things that are real a real pain point for people, and that they find really difficult. Email marketing, anything I do to do with list building, um, getting people to your email list, creating lead magnets, um, anything like that. Just just solving people's problems, making their day easier. And if you can give people a quick win through your free content, if they can go away and they can implement something that you've said, and they can get results, then they're obviously much more likely to then want to get their credit card out and pay you for your, your paid products and services. So as you've got this kind of, this sort of tiered process, if you like, of you find people on social media, push them to your blog and eventually push them to opt in and join your list, or maybe go straight from social to the list. What I kind of want to know is, do you then at any point have a paid call to action in social media? Or is it like, I don't sell to the people on my socials at all. I only sell to them once they're on the list. No, I do a little bit of selling on social media. So, and I would say probably, I don't know, eight, eight out of 10 pieces of content are not directly selling, but I'm selling all the time, basically. Mm. (laughs) Um, And it's something I encourage my clients to do. So although I'm not directly saying, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, every post that I create, every podcast episode I create is actually leading towards a paid product or service. So it's almost like it might just be planting the idea in their head. Um, so I'm, I'm launching next month this Build Your Audience program. Um, and I've just been creating just more and more content, starting more and more discussions around that topic. And, you know, maybe in a couple out of every 10 posts, I might throw in the, the wait list link and send people to get on the wait list. Mm. Um, and, you know, sometimes I might overtly sell. But I think the trouble is if you're overtly selling in every single post, it's like anything really people become just like numb to it and they stop noticing it. So I think it's good to throw it in now and again. Um, 
but I think probably most posts need to kind of be helpful. Does that kind of make sense? Um, it makes perfect sense. And one of the things a lot of people talk to us about, and, and we always, I think we all go through this thing, um, if we've got some kind of membership program or some kind of course we're putting together, how do we make the decision? So let's say we've got a program which is about llama breeding, for example, and we're going to teach people how to do that as a fabulous business because <laughs> llamas are really cool now and everybody wants one. How do we decide, I've got this course, that's great, and now I need to build an audience. How do we decide which content, or like what the heck do we, what do we teach for free on the social channels? Because I always feel like you teach so much stuff, I'm thinking, what on earth is she teaching? <laughs> yeah, someone asked me that yesterday. <laughs> yeah, someone asked me that on a discovery call for my coaching. She kind of said, look, and she said it herself, actually. She said, if I was to go around the internet and like look at all your stuff, I reckon I could piece together all of the content you've got. Yeah. And I said, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I said, and, and she said, okay, so what am I paying you for? And I said, well, what do you think you're paying for? And she said, well, I think I'm paying you for the convenience of having it all in the right order. And, you know, no, that's, I mean, it's not, I was being a bit glib really, but it's not, you know, that there is, there, there is content that you wouldn't get outside of my membership or one of my paid programs. There certainly is. But to be honest, if you were bothered to go around and look at every podcast episode, every blog and kind of piece it all together, you could probably cobble together some kind of course or program or whatever. But, you know, who would want to spend the time doing that and actually, you know, putting it all together. And of course, you know, what I know is I know the right order to tackle it, to yeah. tackle it in, whereas you might not necessarily know the right order to tackle it in. So um, you might take, but well, basically you probably take two or three times as long. So I always say to people, you know, give everything away for free. But, um, you know, what people pay for is, is two things. So they'll pay for the sort of convenience of having it all in the right order because that will save them tons and tons of time rather than having to figure it out what order they should tackle things even just this thing about building your audience it's taken me years to tackle you know to, to work out that you should start with social media then content then email marketing it's taken me years of getting lots of things wrong to learn how to get that part of it right so I could save somebody years and years you know, if they sign up to my program, because I've already figured that out and made all the mistakes so that you, know, you don't have to really make them. Um, but the other thing people pay for is personalization. So when I was chatting to this lady on this call yesterday and she was saying, well, what would be different? I was saying, well, she, she was saying, oh, I signed up for Amy Porterfield's webinar program. I think it yep. was a thing. And I was saying, well, you know, do you get to ask Amy Porterfield to give you personal feedback on your webinar funnel? Do you get to ask her personal questions about, and she said, no, no, because it's like, hundreds and thousands of people in this program. I said, well, that's exactly it. And that's the bit that people will pay a premium for. Um, because I don't know about you, I've bought loads of online courses and programs and, mm -hmm. and then it might be really good content, but at some point you're going to stop and ask yourself, well, how does this apply to me? And you're just yeah. going to want to ask that question. I've, I'm, I've got a coach I'm working with at the moment. And yesterday I was like texting him about something that happened in my business. And I just wanted somebody to like, can you give me the answer? And just to, just, just part, you know, so I didn't have to figure it out for myself and get it wrong loads of times. Mm -hmm. And that's what we pay for. Does, does that kind of make sense? It makes perfect sense. You, you basically, you're paying for access and you're paying for the fact that it's in the right order. That's what people are paying for because your coach knows your entire situation. You're not thinking, ah, yes, but that doesn't apply to me because we all get those sort of, we all get those sort of thoughts all the time, don't we? Yeah, indeed. I'll tell you what, I've got one quick question here. How do you sort of track and monitor the growth of your audience? Because obviously you get to, okay, you get to watch the Instagram number go up or the LinkedIn number go up. But in terms of like, what do you do? Do you keep it in a spreadsheet? What do you do in terms of that tracking and monitoring the growth and the progress of your audience? Yeah, I'm a bit old school, actually. I'm sure there's much better ways of doing it, but I do actually keep it on a spreadsheet. <laughs> and I just yeah, we do it. too, by the side. Yeah. 
So I just check the, the key things I check every week are my email list size, uh, web traffic, which pages are getting visited the most and how long people are spending on them and bounce rates and things like that. Um, social media following. Yeah, I am tracking it, but as I say, it's kind of a bit of a vanity measure, I think. Um, obviously, it stands to reason that the more followers you've got, as long as they're the right kind of followers, you're, you're probably going to make more sales. Um, there was one thing, actually, I wanted to add about the um, how much stuff you give away for free, actually, which I think is important, is I shut down my Facebook group at the end of last year, um, which Whoa. my free Facebook group it had 13,500 members, and I've got a whole podcast episode about why I did it. Huh. Um, but basically, I went to all this trouble like to build up this Facebook group. And I just found that I got to the stage where I just wasn't attracting the right kind of people in there, whereas it was a really great place to attract leads and sales and to you know talk to my audience and nurture whatever. Mm. It just wasn't working. And also what had happened, I think, is that my audience weren't being trained to buy. And I think that's really important. Give all your best stuff away for free. But at the same time, I think you have to make your audience has to know that you mean business and that actually you do sell stuff because I've had this happen had it happen a little bit to me but I've had some clients who literally like every time they try and put out a paid offer their audience just go nuts um, my friend Jessica um, Jessica she calls it a baby bird sy- syndrome just colorima sales expert baby bit bird syndrome so you keep giving all this stuff away and you give it away and give it away and give it away mm-hmm. but then when you suddenly go right I've got a paid program like they all get really fretful and then they start getting angry and falling out of the nest and, and getting upset. And, and, um, and, and it's because you've been feeding them all this stuff and that now you're like, Oh, actually you've got to survive on your own. So I, so I would always say to people, if you are starting out online, then put out paid offers as early as you can, even if it's a small thing like 10 quid, 20 quid or whatever. I've got a really interesting example of that actually. Um, because then people will know that you mean business and you're not just there giving away freebies. Yes, you'll give lots of useful free information, but you will be asking people to, ne- to take the next step. We did a really interesting experiment recently. Um, my LinkedIn content strategy guide, normally I would have given that away. It's just like a, a PDF guide. It has six different styles of LinkedIn posts that are guaranteed to to get engagement um, and it's got like examples and pictures and you know it's a really helpful piece of content ordinarily I would have given that away for free but what we noticed I've got another really popular lead magnet which um, has been popular for years and years but we noticed that only like 20 30 percent of people were actually you know they were signing up for it but were only actually downloading only actually downloading it about 20 30 percent wow. so we decided just to charge 10 pounds for this LinkedIn content strategy guide we sold probably only a fraction, maybe 10% of what we otherwise would have got. But 80% of those people had downloaded it within 24 hours. And I think that's quite a power. It says quite a lot, actually. You know, when people pay, they pay attention. I think as well, what it allows you to do is say, where am I going to put the value here? So if you've got a free Facebook group where you're in there all the time, so now they've got access to you, you answer their questions every day, and you're giving them free content and free training every few days. Now they've got content, it's in some kind of order because there's a timeline in there, and they've got access to you. It's like, what am I paying for? if I'm going to move up that level, I think it's very, very interesting. We have talked to some other guests in the past about how they overcome that. It's very, very interesting. Now we're going to interrupt this episode one more time for the second and our favorite game of the episode. Here's how it works. My colleague Kennedy here, hello, is going to sing a song for you now, Janet. Yeah, look at you. He's going to sing a song, but he's going to sing a song in the style of a traditional British pub singer, which means that some of the words may be somewhat confused and disguised. Your job, Janet, and dear listener at home, is simply to guess what song Kennedy sings. You don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers Podcast now on your podcast player. 
<laughs> Colin, oh our developer, in the corner with his shoulders going up and down laughing. Janet, any idea? Oh my God, no, I pride myself on being one of those people that can, that can spot a song. Like You're the one the everyone wants on the, on the music quiz team, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's the only bit that I can do. Usually when you hear songs, they've got like a melody and stuff though, haven't they? <laughs> do, I, do I get a second go? Because No, you definitely bloody not. don't. Um, <laughs> The only thing I could think of it vaguely might have sound, sounded like was like pack up your travels. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're kit so bag. close. But right. uh, uh, Whitney Houston's not famous for that song. Um, <laughs> it was uh, Dance With Somebody. Uh, it was, you know, that first verse, we thought that the, uh, the chorus might be a bit too, too close to it. Look, I want to talk about, about how long we need to build this audience for. That's, what, that's, how, that's how this whole conversation began. That's what we really wanted to talk to you about. Because let's say that I've got a course I'm about to release. How long do we need to plan beforehand with our audience to have shifted the conversation, the topic, the subject matter of our content to be talking and leading up to that before we actually announce the course? Okay, so I would say if you already have an audience, then probably about 90 days, I would say. I would allow yourself. If you're starting from scratch and you don't have any audience at all, then I think it takes a good year to build an audience. And it depends on your numbers as well. I've got an audience calculator that I've created because I was so frustrated with basically my clients launching things that flopped because they were like, you know, they'd say, I'm going to launch this online course on whatever it might be. And then I'd say, how many people have you got on your email list? And they'd say 40. And I'd say, well, the average online converts, average conversion for online sales is one to 2%. Mm. So you're actually not even going to make one sale, you know, based on your email list. So this has actually really helped to drive home the point. And what they can do is they can, I can give you a link to this as well. They can tap in what their target sales are. So if they want to sell a hundred courses, they want to sell you know, 10 courses, whatever it is. So it obviously is a little bit based on how many you want to sell. But generally I find, you know, I would start, if I've got a course I'm going to be launching, I would start to kind of drip feed like little mentions of it and start getting people involved, getting to vote on different logos, show them some of the artwork, like Show, show them some of the content maybe just get into a conversation about it up to about 90 minutes 90 minutes 90 days beforehand and then um I, i'd say about a year if you don't have any audience at all i would i would say go with a year and then if it if it takes you less than that then well done but most people it takes them at least a year to build an audience of the size that you need to launch an online course or program wow so you're saying what, give yourself a year of building that audience without even trying to put anything on sale. That's a, that's a hell of a commitment though, isn't it? Well, you know, maybe put a small thing on sale. So put a PDF guide or something like that. But yeah, like, like a LinkedIn one or something. Like a LinkedIn guide or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like a LinkedIn content strategy guide. And if you want to buy it, you can go to... No, um, but, but seriously, I think people are so impatient. And I think you have to ask yourself this question. Like if you saw, would you buy... You know, people often say to me, um, oh, I've got this, I'm going to do a $2,000 coaching course or something. Well, would you buy a $2,000 coaching course or even a $200 coaching course from somebody that you had no relationship with? You didn't know the content. You didn't know them. This is why things like podcasting and blogging is so important, particularly things like podcasting, because people really feel like they get to know you. And so I, I was talking to a lady yesterday who's going to come and do one of my high-end coaching programs. And she was saying, I've literally been listening to your podcast for years. Like I take loads of notes. And so she, she, 
she she was already sold like she already wanted to work with me and the, the the call was almost like a formality but I mean you know would you part would you just throw like I've only ever bought two things I think of a Facebook ad one of them was um um, two actually three. One of them was a a, a running belt. The <laughs> They're going to be a bit disappointing now. One of them's a little bit funny. One of them was one of those running belts that you wear, like to put your mm-hmm. phone in when you're running. At, at, like a weighted belt thing, yeah. Yeah, and I just saw it and I thought, I need that. I'm going to buy it. The other one was a ponytail beanie hat because uh, I, my my hat was fell off my head when I was running because I've got really thick hair. Um, and I just saw that on a Facebook ad. And the other thing is very, very unusually, I just saw a really good, this girl called Lisa Bean, who ended up being a guest on my podcast. It was like a really good video that she put out on a Facebook ad, um, which was about how to vlog. And I just watched this whole video lesson, went off and created a blog and then invited her on my podcast. But that's so unusual. Most of the time we keep seeing, you know, Facebook keeps serving up the same ads, doesn't it? And, it, and you keep thinking, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. But I just listened to another podcast. I'll just go and read another one of their blog posts. I'll just download a free guide. Most of it, it takes us years to build up the trust to actually part with even a few hundred dollars, you know. So that Tripwire product, you know, that £10 LinkedIn strategy guide or whatever it might be, um, you can put some of those out and you can test the waters. But generally to get people to part with serious cash it, it takes a bit of time yeah, yeah you've really got to invest it really does. it's almost like they could they could consume as much content as they want to consume but when they actually when you get at that point where they want to work with you and they realize actually what they want is they just want a relationship with you and the only way to take that to that next level is to actually engage you with a paid thing that's when it sort of transcends and moves up that ladder exactly exactly Amazing. We're going to now pop into what we lovingly refer to as the quick fire round. Hey, you don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers podcast now on your podcast player. So Janet, let's start with a book that you recommend. Uh, the book that I recommend is called The One Thing. It's such a good book that I always forget who it's by, but I think it's Jay Papazan and Gary... Gary Keller. Gary Keller, that's the one. Uh, I'm like, I've got my brain works at a million miles an hour and I always try and do about a million things at once. And so whenever I find myself thinking that, I I just, I ask a question from that book, which is like, what is the one thing that I could do right now, which would make everything else uh, unnecessary or unimportant or something like that? Wow, that's some big stuff. What's your top success habit? Something you do regularly? Uh, I get up really early. I get up at five o'clock every day and I get most of I get most of my main work done like before about eight o'clock in the morning. Love it. Me too. Amazing. Uh, give us a marketer or an entrepreneur that you look up to. Gosh, I look up to loads of marketers. Just say Kennedy. Just say Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You too, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my friends, Andrew and Pete, I really admire them, uh, digital marketers who have just, you know, really persistently and tenaciously uh you know created great content and they haven't expected just to kind of rock up online and have these amazing results they've they've committed to being the best content creators they can possibly be in their space which is content marketing Mm. and now things are really paying off for them yeah absolutely what are your favorite apps or things that actually run your life that you think are really cool right now um, Strava at the moment because <laughs> I'm running. I'm running the London Marathon uh, oh, wow. in a month. A month yesterday it was. I think hmm. month Sunday. So uh, Strava. Um, but other non non work non not work related things. Um, I guess it's, it's now called Keep, but Infusionsoft I use for my yeah. email marketing. Um, you know that's that's big, and, and I often say it's not just about the email marketing side of it, but it's just the automation. Like it automates a lot of things in our business and 
saves us time and hassle. And allows you to deliver a really a much better experience as well yeah. without having the extra time. It's, it really is amazing. Big important question now, Janet. Who do you like more, redhead Rob or Platinum Kennedy? Oh, well, being a redhead myself, I'm almost like, you know, gearing towards the redhead. Well, head rock, but, um, but, but no, I, I can't decide. That's a half a point. That's half a point for Ron, just for having red hair. Finally, <laughs> tell us, we're gagging to know, where can we go to find out more about you, Janet? Uh, it's janetmurray.co.uk. Um, you can find out everything you want there. I'm all over the internet, Janet, Janet Murray. I'm not the old lady with the short brown hair we're working on moving her off the first page of google at the moment um <laughs> but i am not a 70 year old um uh i don't know she's academic i think in the u.s i'm oh, shit I'm, we're I'm, in the wrong janet murray <laughs> <laughs> that's not me but i am all over the web um and if you want to get on the wait list for my build your audience program i'm not sure when this is going out but may 2019 it's coming out so it's janetmurray.co.uk build your audience program it's got some dashes in there as well but i'm sure you can put that in the in the show notes very cool that's absolutely awesome and of course you've got your fabulous podcast which i'm a huge fan of as well so that's called the janet murray show isn't it it is yes yes there you go cunningly can't forget that there you go thank you so much for joining us and sharing so much janet oh thank you so much for having me it's been really fun i liked all the quizzes and games and stuff as well thank you so that's what an audience is Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not just about having a bajillion followers on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or Pinterest. If or- they ain't engaged, if, they, if it, you're just falling on deaf ears, what's the point? It's bang on, you know. Like sometimes I put stuff out on Twitter, it's like crickets. It's just tumbleweed falling over the place because it's not my, my strength. I'm really not very good at that. But I'm going to set myself the goal to get better at this, to get better at creating engaging content. And there's loads of great ideas in that, you know, loads of great ideas directly inside that episode that you can just take out and start implementing to get more engagement and doing that all important task that Janet talked about of moving people from social and from that place into your list, which is where they really become your audience Mm -hmm. and then move your list into paid products, programs, events, whatever it is that you do. Yeah, I was thinking uh, your audience are, in audience is like people who just watch stuff, isn't it? Like that's just sort of like an audience for a TV show is like just people who watch. But once it becomes interactive, now they're sort of moving towards your tribe and then to get them into your tribe, that's kind of like when they're on your list, doesn't it? You sort of move them across that thing and they're getting closer and closer and closer to you. Interesting to think about your content in that way, I suppose, as well. Like, do you, do you give them a bit more of an insight to you so they feel a bit closer to you once they're on your email list? We're thinking about like, very, very cool. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, which I know you have, and you've missed anything or you just want to catch up on some of the details, we've put all of the show notes together for you in lovely bullet-pointed fashion over at blog.responsesuite.com forward slash 054. Most bodacious. I'm going to keep using that word until it becomes fashionable again. Most bodacious indeed. <laughs> also, if you haven't already, leave us a review over on iTunes or your favorite player. We'd love you for it. And we'll, oh yeah, and if you haven't already subscribed to this, woo, you could be missing out on some massive stuff. Click that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. We'd love you for it. Anyway, we're off now. See you next week. Don't miss a thing. Miss a thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsesuite.com.